0: Interview number 114, Angela Lloyd, The Listening Way of the Storyteller. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories.
1: Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors.
0: Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school.
1: Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child.
0: Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing.
1: That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion.
0: And live with grace. Hey, welcome to the Art of Storytelling, and this is Brother Wolf, and I am so glad that you have taken the time to find us, to find your way here, to join us this early morning session as I interview Angela Lloyd. Angela Lloyd is an amazing storyteller. I've been watching her work here at the National Storytelling Conference in Los Angeles in 2010. And I've been watching her work. I've been watching her connect. And most amazingly, I've been watching the way that she carries her presence and carries her stories into her audiences. But before we get to Angela... It's really important that you take a moment to put aside the things you're doing, that you put down that book, or perhaps you put aside those papers, and you just take a few minutes to listen to my guest. Thank you, Angela, for coming on the show.
1: Good morning.
0: Before we begin, let me tell you a little bit more about Angela. Angela Lloyd is one of the most unique performers in the National Storytelling Circuit today. Angela was featured at the 25th, 1997, and the 31st, 2003, National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and regularly appears at regional festivals and theaters across the country. A virtuosa on the washboard, Angela's performances are a whimsical braid of poetry, story, and song played on auto-harp, tenor guitar, Spoon, and Bell. The stories are selected from a variety of sources, including traditional world folk tales, the oral tradition, original works based on personal experience, and the best in children's literature. The songs are drawn from her childhood, contemporary singer and songwriters, folk songs, along with her own original musical compositions based on poetry. Angela's first recording, Dreams and Other Realities, continues to be a favorite and has been released in a second edition. Her second recording, Sandberg Out Loud, was released by August House Publishers in 2002. This collaborative venture of story, song, poetry, and music featured Angela with colleagues Bill Harley, Carol Birch, and David Holt. From 2000-2003, Angela was funded by the California Arts Council and as an artist-in-residence at the Walden School in Pasadena, California. The impact of this residency was so great, the school continued to fund the project independently through 2007. Um, do you have a story you can share with us?
1: I do. There was once long time ago a rabbi who had the reputation of always having the right story at the right time. And one morning he was out taking his walk when a fellow who had grown up there had moved away and had now come back was out on his walk. And when he saw the rabbi walking up ahead he approached him and he said, Rabbi, how do you do it? How is it that you always have the right story at the right time? And the rabbi took a few steps and looked up at the fellow walking alongside and he said, let me tell you a story. He said a long time ago there was an archer who had the reputation that every time he pulled back his bow and he sent an arrow, that the arrow always hit in the center of the target, never on the edge, always in the middle. And one day that archer was walking out in the countryside when he came upon a house and a long fence connecting the house to a barn and he noticed, getting close to the fence, that there were targets painted all along the fence. And when he got closer, he saw it was true what he was seeing. There were targets, and there were only holes in the center of the target. And he thought to himself, Who does their archery practice here? He went to the house and he knocked on the door and the door was opened by a woman who had obviously just washed her hair. It was long and red and wet, almost down to her waist. She looked like a mommy and an apron tied on. And the archer said, excuse me, but I was wondering, the targets on your fence, did the person who does that practice Does that person live here? And she said, oh, just a minute. And as she turned, he could smell that sweet, clean soap smell. And she came back to the door with a young boy, about nine years old. Actually, I think he probably could have looked like you, Mr. Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) I think he could have looked like you when you were nine. That young boy looked like anyone who's listening the way you did when you were nine and she had her hand on his back and she said it's my son it is he who has done this practice and the archer looked at the young boy and he said would you care to go for a walk and the boy said sure and so out the door they went and they went along the fence and the archer said is this your practice you are a very fine archer and he said how do you do it and the boy said, Well, first I always stand with my back against the fence. And then I take this many steps away. And then I take my bow and my arrow and I pull back the string and I let it go. And then it hits the fence. And then I go to the barn and I get the paint and I paint the target around it. <laughs> Well, the rabbi looked at the man, and the man was laughing. And the rabbi said, that's how I have the right story at the right time. He said, in my life, in my work, the people, our people, our villagers, our friends, they come to me. They have a concern, a joy, a sorrow, a request, a wish, a prayer. He said, I listen to it. I listen to it. And then I paint my story, said the rabbi, around it. I love this story. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful?
0: (laughs) It is beautiful. And it's really, what's the word, apropos? How do you say that?
1: Apropos.
0: It's really apropos because, one, I love doing that. It's something I'm very proud of, Mm -hmm. that I'm really good at at being that rabbi. <laughs> of But and it's also true that it's just a matter of waiting. If you wait long enough in a conversation, the spot, you know, you'll be able to paint that target <laughs> because the opportunity is there. It's just a question of waiting for it to come along.
1: We've been hearing a lot at this national conference the importance of listening and the importance of um, really being present and when a storyteller when a storyteller is giving a story we are dependent on the listening of the audience the listening of the audience impacts the story it is not something the storyteller is making by themselves it is something that we are co-creating with the audience and if you have one audience who is restless and another audience who is whatever, who is sleepy or an audience who's completely present, the, that will impact. It does impact the story, and, and it does in, in a very subtle way. And it's hard to convince people of that unless they've had the direct experience, unless someone who is a listener. For example, I love that you ask people to put down paper to actually they could <clears throat> to let go of something in their hands you know and if if somebody I know when I if I am not trying to do something else and I can just really sit back and listen I will have a completely different experience and the story will enter my body in a very different way than if I still had a pencil and I was making a post-it notes or writing i better call that all these people are like oh oh, no i gotta put that down i mean you know i just yeah or since this is a podcast they'll be able to listen again or maybe the next time i mean i do it too i'm on how many how many of us when we're on the telephone listening to someone not only are making you know are doodling but we're answering emails somebody else across the world the listening is important and the here's the thing those of us who live in the company of stories, and I'm not just saying the storytellers, but anybody listening to this podcast or having listened to others, those stories really become, in a way, like a a companion. I think of stories like a sympathetic string. In a piano, if you pluck a string in a piano, all of the other strings on the piano that are in a harmonic tuning With that note that I just plucked, all of the others, without having been touched, will hum in response. They naturally hum in response. That's what happens. I think that's how I think about the stories that I've heard and that I've worked with is that I have my life, our life. We live in this world, we have our experience. And then we have the time that we spend with stories or the time we spent listening to stories at a concert. And those stories, they come in. They're in our bodies. They're in our hearts. And we have the opportunity. We can access them. They will rise again. And that's what I like about the rabbi story in that when he's listening and he paints the the story around it, when we... We we listen and like you said you're you're giving some time for what story will rise. Then in a sense the story taps you on the shoulder and the story says to you, Tell me now you know. And that's in conversation and that's sometimes sometimes that happens in a performance or something energetically a room in a performance is very differently than what you had planned and if you can be mindful and if you can are willing to just listen to the possibility that maybe there's another story that would suit better here than to um, follow that listening storytelling is energy Storytelling is an energetic exchange, and um, we can pay attention to that and, and ride the wave. I've got a story. Down deep in my soul Deep in my soul And it's just bursting to be told I've got a story Down deep in my soul Won't you help it come out? I'm Victoria Burnett. You're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. So,
0: Angela Lloyd, I I love what you were just saying about listening the story out, about listening for the story. And there's definitely a lot of preparation, a lifetime of preparation that goes into having the ability, having the catalog to draw from.
1: I agree, that is true. However, I, when I hear you say that, I, I wouldn't want people to think that they don't have enough stories. <laughs> so, we can, on this show, and one of the reasons why you do this show, is to invite people to story and to storytelling. So, just as the rabbi, I don't think, when I think of that rabbi, I don't think of him walking along and, like, flipping through his mind, trying to, in some way, find something, right? But actually, li- letting the story rise, like, li- listen, letting it rise, listening it in and letting the story tap you on the shoulder and you have to have some faith for that to to trust that process when I'm desperate and I think I can't find a story and then I grab sort of a story out of my out of my speediness that's a different story than I think it's a different story than if I could just Take a couple deep breaths, you know. So, if that makes any sense? If that makes some sense. Well,
0: it's kind of like if the story is a expression of energy, and if you take the story out of a desire to participate in the conversation, a desire to be important, a desire to to be the teacher, but not necessarily have anything worth teaching, that's a very different experience than mm. than sharing something sort of from the heart it's almost like there's a subtle beginning a subtle birth of the moment
1: Mm -hmm. and I think we're we're talking about a couple different things one is just sitting and being in conversation with friends and sometimes I'll hear a friend um, share something and I'll just a story will rise and it feels somehow like the story can say something that I could never say i don't I wouldn't know how to say it, but stories hold uh, wisdom and truths uh, and information in a way that it is in a lovely order and structure that we can hear in some way and I think also we relax when we're in the company of stories so one is about just being in conversation with our friends and then to make a concert or to do a show or to be um that's another is you make a plan or you're with others you may with other storytellers you may be doing an hour by yourself and then the other place where i tell my stories is or tell stories is in the classroom and i have um many times been in a classroom and my role is generally as an artist in residence as a teaching artist to offer a story to a place in the curriculum where the children are and sometimes i've had notice about that in advance and sometimes i'm in the classroom and it happens that i'm i may be visiting another room whatever reason i am there i see what they're working on and i i have time and they have time to hear a story. And in that way, the story can uh, really help the children enter the world of the curriculum that they are about to, enter the world of the content of what they're about to study. Um, And here's, in the classroom setting, what I love about that is that a story and listening to a story most times generally helps people relax. We I call it open rest. So we are awake, our eyes are sometimes generally open, and we're resting back in our chairs and we're listening to someone tell a story. And we are settling in our bodies and those other concerns in our mind whatever they are in our lives they actually have an opportunity to to let go we can let go of them they let go of us and we travel with our in our story and and in the story that we're hearing and it is a a refuge I I think of it as a refuge and The story holds us. So I have a little sentence that I wrote that is this sentence. Song is the water for the story boat. And when I think about listening to story and also telling story, I believe that I am held by that container of the story. And I trust the container of the story. I also use a lot of music in uh, in my my work and my play with story, and I believe that when we listen to music, to song, that we kind of drop down even another layer. We let go another deeper layer, and music and song enters our bodies through. So in a cellular way. It enters us without going into our mind. And it bathes us in some way. There's a line, a line from a Rumi poem, a story is like water you heat for your bath. <laughs> it takes messages between you and your skin and it cleans you. And uh, story has always, I've always, lo- I've always really appreciated that about story because it allows me in some way to be more in this world and to stay in this world and to be listening to this world because I have this friend that's with me who is story and which is and are the stories that I've heard along the way. But it's also about the structure inside of stories.
0: So listening to you talk just now, I was really thinking about the birthing process of bringing a story to the moment. And one of the key things I'm getting out of this conversation, and I, I think I also believe inside myself, is that we're talking about a layers of subtlety. And, and we're talking about doing a lot of work on oneself To be aware in that moment, to not be distracted by ourselves, to not be distracted by our egos, to not be distracted by our minds, to be open Mm -hmm. to the subtleties of the heart. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, first of all, I would ask you to clarify that moment that you're describing. Is that moment between two friends that you're asking about, or is that a moment that is in a tent with 1,500 people? Well, to me,
0: I, I actually have had both those things happen. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't actually find there to be that, a lot of difference between those two things. I mean, there is a lot of difference in the actual experience and the amount of energy I have to move through in front of 1,500 people is much more. Mm-hmm. But when I think of the feeling of the sort of, ah, oh, yeah, that one the sort of satisfaction of knowing Mm -hmm. oh here's the story that one person in this audience of 1,500 people desperately needs to know here's I can just feel it and I just start telling that story I don't find there to be a lot of difference between an audience Mm -hmm. of two and an audience of 1,500
1: well you mentioned the you mentioned having some practice having um, awareness about that about about how present about what story to be so in a sense we we go in and we're listening right so when when the storyteller is telling the story when I'm telling the story that I'm telling I'm listening to the story too it's not something I'm delivering that I know everything about I'm listening to do you ever get surprised? Uh, all the time. All the time. And that, that was an, a gift and an instruction that was given to me by Laura Sims. So Laura Sims was, was my teacher. When I went to look for someone to study with, uh, I saw an ad in a magazine that's a storytelling magazine, and she was coming to California to teach for a week and that was in 1987 so for 17 years i went to work with her and most of my uh practice as a storyteller is grounded in uh what she still to this day teaches so you can look for her on her website too what i learned was that i could i could tr- that i could trust the moment And I could trust the moment to, that the moment has some information for me. My, what is my job then in that moment is to, to relax (laughs) and to stay, to stay as in stay in your body, stay in the room and I do like to escape, and I do like to run away. I love that. And sometimes, in order for me to stay quote stay in a room, it means I have to run in and out of it a few times, and then I can then I can be there. So, but back to the story.
0: And just uh, yeah. to be fair to the audience, um, and just so you all know. Angela, I've been watching Angela for the last couple of days and, and she's someone who's constantly moving mm-hmm. her body. She's constantly moving her body. She's, she's constantly moving her legs or her hands or, um, and not in a way that's, that, what's the word expression when someone is, um, having to, you see people who have to move all the time. I don't mean like that. I mean sort of like, there's always energy in her and mm-hmm. you can see the, an expression of her honest state of mind.
1: I had a teacher a number of years ago, a contemplative uh, practice teacher, meditation teacher, wonderful teacher. And when he was retiring from being the director of a particular um, school, we had an event for him. And he shared with us, he said, these are the three mantras that he used the most on a daily basis. And I think about these and I love them a lot. And the first one is, thank you. The second one is stay. And the third one is mercy. And he didn't say this. I don't know how he used those three phrases, but I use those three phrases all the time. Thank you is the, is the hardest one to remember. It just, I forget it. I'm always generally in stay, No, it wasn't mercy, it's help. So the third one was help. Mercy, I learned from Anne Lamott. (laughs) She wrote about that in a book. Back to what we're saying, I really, I feel stories are, really are in some way companions. When you spend some time with a story, it's... I feel like the story moves into my house with me, or I move into the house with the story. <laughs> and I'm getting to know the family members there and the climate in that place and and what it's like early in the morning, you know, when they all wake up and before the the story begins. So sometimes I, when I think about when I'm in that listening moment and I want to come back to it, it's as though which of my friends you know what friend wants to come to this conversation is it cinderella does she want to would that be would she be good i not literally don't i do not say this to myself when i'm waiting to take a turn in the story but but it's as though they are like family members or what did my family member cinderella say and if someone is struggling with something then Cinderella Cinderella, literally by telling her story may have the the information that the person needs and in term and then just to address in terms of concerts when we talk about it being an energetic thing it's very it's very um, fluid and stories what I love about stories in terms of festival in being In terms of concerts, performances, and often we, when we are at festivals, conferences, we lay our stories down next to one another, whereas most of the time storytellers are doing their work by themselves in a room with others, but they are the only storyteller. So when we are, in terms of listening to that, choosing a story, when I'm in that situation, I'm just looking at where has the audience been and where where do I want to take them. And what I love about stories is that every story is whole and complete, and it has its a journey that it's a round-trip ticket. <laughs> you know, you hear a story comes up, and a story is from... Borneo or it has (laughs) dancing in it or drum beats or guitars or flute and the whole we all go we all come back and then the MC goes up on the stage and says and now I'd like you to help me make welcome and they tell a little something about the next storyteller and the next thing we're doing is we're listening to a Celtic harpist or a teenager telling a really a comedy you know you memorize somebody's comedy work and now they're delivering it like a story and it's completely other world but the stories are whole and complete and we can go in and we can come back and the structure of the story, the form of a story makes it so we can go all the way out and we will come all the way back so you can go a lot of places.
0: I can just see the travel agency now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're safe. One of the things that I, I love to work on with young student storytellers, I work with mostly kindergarten through sixth graders and their teachers, is to support their understanding that, They really can trust a story that it is a whole cosmos and we can go in as far as we want to go and in deeply and we can come back out. And that our job when we do that, when the children are learning a story to offer to someone else, our job is to serve the audience and to be listening to them and supporting their journey in the story and coming home and making sure when we land, when they're back, that they come back safely. And one more thing I'll just say about this that I trust, and that is that I really, I believe that no matter where we are or what we're up to, when we have a chance to listen to a story, I trust that whatever, whatever the person takes from hearing that story, it is exactly what they need. It is just enough. And it may be that someone just walks away from a story with one image, you know, manna on a desert floor, say, from the Red Sea story. They might just, for the first time, be thinking about, well, what did it look like? What was it like to go out and gather the manna every morning? And what did it look like? And did you boil it? Did you cook it? Was it crunchy? You know, was there sand on it? Could you tell what was the sand and what was the manna? But they might just be going away from with one image. And that that's enough. So in that sense, I think about stories like an oasis. And the story is the water. And all the animals can come and drink. And the animals will come and they'll drink until they've had enough. And I think that's how it is for listening, for listeners. And the story, even though I may have lived with the story for up to 15 years or more, some stories I've been telling for 30 years, some songs I've been singing since I was four. You know, I had a little break from singing when I was in college because I just didn't do that. But some stories I've been with a a lot in my life, and, and they... They're always teaching me, and and it changes what they're teaching me. Last night I finally made it to a swap. We're trying to go to
0: swaps all week. Finally was able to, because I didn't do an interview last night. So I I got to the swap. It was ten minutes till the end, and they were very nice. And they said, "Oh, sure, you can tell a story, even though you haven't listened to any. You're welcome oh. to tell a story." And then I said, "Well, what's the theme?" And they said, "It's islands." And I was like, "Oh, well, I have this one island story." that I told this spring at the Environmental Story College Retreat. It's part of the Tecumseh Land Trust CD, fundraising CD. Here's the thing. As I was saying this, I was realizing, I've told this story a fair amount. And I was thinking to myself, well, I really don't need, I mean, I don't need to tell this story. But then it was so clear that they needed to hear this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Also, it was mm-hmm. a perfect story to end a set.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it's, an, it's a set mm-hmm. ending story. And this was the set end mm-hmm. of the set for them. Mm-hmm. This was the beginning of the set for me. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear to me that I could tell them a different story that would satisfy me. Or I could tell them this story and they would all walk away satisfied. And so I, it mm-hmm. took a strength of will to put aside my own preconception mm-hmm. Of wanting to try out something or wanting to come up with something brilliant and telling the story that was brilliant and was good,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but putting aside my own petty self interest is what I think of it.
1: I think that's such a great example of uh, an illustration of what we're talking about. And congratulations. I mean, that's just lovely. <laughs> it's lovely. It's lovely. And when I think, thank you, yeah, and so now I want to say, do you want to say a little more about it? Like, how was it after you, when you did tell the story? When what did you, when, when you were telling it or when the story was over, do you want to say something about how it felt to know that you had, you had actually done something that was of benefit?
0: Well, I think the way I get in trouble with, with that sort of stuff is I want to explain my process to the audience. You do? Oh, yeah. I want to be like... Well, right afterwards? Right after the story. I want to say, well, I was going to tell... The whole t- audience? Yes. I really want to share with them the process. And I have discovered over the years that that is a very self-destructive thing to do.
1: With one person, maybe. <laughs> but quietly over coffee, but not with the room.
0: No, the, the room thinks you're a self-obsessed, narcissistic individual if you start talking about inner voices and feelings and stories and why. In fact, that's a good point. Let's just stop here a moment. As storytellers, as entertainers, nobody wants to hear about the stories you didn't tell them. You don't get in front of somebody and say, well, I was going to tell you this story, and then I tell you that story. And then I, and I have seen some very good professional storytellers destroy their rapport is that the right word, rapport? Mm-hmm. Destroy their rapport with a room full of
1: for
0: me. a room full of fans because they insist on on talking about all the material they didn't get to <laughs> and, and how they really would have liked to have done this or that. And sort of it it sounds it feels as as it's happening, it feels really self-important. But getting back to your question you asked me, turning the tables here. I felt that energy of wanting to talk to them, and I also felt the energy of really wanting to check. I really wanted to make sure the story was good. And the way I, I checked that it was the right story was I said to them, was that helpful? Was that, was that a good, did you like my story, <laughs> you know? And the response was, people were like, oh, I love this image, and I like that smell, and I like this feeling. And I always get, I love children. And adult always is, it used to make me terrified and nervous, and now I'm much better. It's been about five years since I was there.
1: Where?
0: Of being really nervous of telling oh. in front of adults. Oh. Because adults have a very different body language and emotional language. Children are so raw and honest, they give mm-hmm. you immediate feedback. If you're not telling a story they like, you know in about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but adults, you could tell them for a little while before you start realizing. And sometimes you think that they don't like it. And they discover that they do.
1: And that is where we have to be, have some kindness toward ourselves. And when we're facing or being with an audience where we can't read them, that's when our own translation, it's when our own story sort of rises up and starts telling us something that is just really a story, (laughs) really a story and uh, is not true at all. We've heard many stories over the years of an audience member looking particularly gruff or not present at all, and then at the end, you know, we heard from uh, one of our keynote speakers about a room full of folks that looked like they were not comfortable and not having an enjoyable time and how they were on their feet at the end of something, so... Yeah, so that's, yeah, well, that, that's that's wonderful. I began to talk a little bit about um, structure um, because I I love story structure and also about something that helped me look at structure when I was teaching at a school. So I was in residence at a school, and I had been there for several years, and I was there for a total of... Um, almost nine years and I was the teaching artist and storyteller in residence at the school which meant that I was um, generally on a weekly basis and sometimes not not weekly. I was in the classrooms. I was collaborating with the teachers. I was telling stories and it was pre-k through sixth grade. The first and second grade teacher had told me that he wanted to work on structure with his class. And one day when I was going into his room, it was early on in our class time. I probably saw his class 12 times in this thing. We were in the ca- the teacher's lounge, and they had high windows. And looking out the windows, we could see the play structure on the south yard. It was painted yellow, and it had a wooden bridge with rope that was wobbly. There were spaces underneath a wooden structure that you could be in the sandbox. You could go up a like a bunk bed ladder and be on a middle plane. There was uh, something that you could hold onto like a trapeze, and you could zoom across. And we were watching the children play on it. And I said to the teacher, the bones of a story, the bones are the most simple outline, the most, what I call the engine of the story. The bones of the story are in many ways like that play structure. The bones of a path of a story are always there. And when I learn a story... I learn the path of the story, where it begins, where it goes, and where it ends. But I am not, especially not initially, invested in the language of the story. I think of it as a map. So my homework is to study where it begins, where it goes, and where it ends. What's it look like? What does it feel like? How is it for the characters? So as I study the story and recall the story, I think of it like bones, and I think of it as structure and something I can count on. So, for example, in The Three Bears, we all know, some of us, that they had oatmeal every morning. That's what we're told. It was porridge or oatmeal, and that... Generally, they did not have a walk before breakfast. But on the, the, on the day that the story begins, it was too hot. And maybe Papa Bear, like me, didn't want to stand around and wait and wanted to move instead. Mm-hmm. And Baby Bear was up, and they made a decision to take a walk. So we all know it's too hot, and they went for a walk. When I work with this story, I will never change that. I could make it that the Cheerios got soggy because <laughs> Baby Bear was, wanted to tell a story. It was too long, and their Cheerios got soggy, and they had to throw them out. Then they ran out, and they had to go to the store. I may, but there's something wrong with the food. So that's the bones. There's the food could not be eaten. So that's really down there. That's an archaeological dig. And they left the house and a young girl came along and she opened the door and she came on in so what i said to the teacher was is i would like to talk with the children about this play structure and i'm going this is and i'm going to say this and this is what i said to the children every morning you come to school and you play on that structure and you enter it a different place every time you come to play it you can go on the trapeze first. You might be in the sandbox. You might be going up the bunk bed. You might be off to the side watching a friend. You might be walking on that big wobbly bridge. But that structure is there no matter what, every day when you come. So I said to, I said to them, we, we can learn a story in such a way that if you want to enter the story where Goldilocks was sitting in the big bear's chair reading a magazine. You could. You could begin there. Her feet were on the ottoman and she saw that she left some mud and now she knew she would be found out. And then she was looking at the dining room table and how she'd left the spoon sticking out of the bowl and she was realizing they would know that she had been there and it was too late to do anything about it. And where were they? Where were they? They were off in home. She could hear their music playing. Eventually with the children, what we did was they wrote stories. They wrote pourquoi stories, where they asked the question, how did the elephant get his trunk? And they wrote a story to answer that question. And the way we did it with them was they initially they wrote the beginning of the story, and, then, and that was all they wrote, was just what was it like before the elephant had a trunk? What was daily life like? And then what happened that started to change things? What sort of kicked them out the door? And they wrote the middle, and then eventually they wrote the end. And this was two or three sentences at a time. And then we took them outside and they could go on the play structure with the ten bones of their story and mosey inside and out of that structure and read read their paper. It was really one of the most delightful classes that or projects that I worked on with the children and I really I love so much that the metaphor of the play structure and how the bones of a story are something that we can count on and and I know and my the head of my school used to say it they are something you can count on and she said I believe that you I believe you when you say that in the company of story that you are safe and that's true. When I'm telling a story, I wholly, inc- I trust myself. I'm very grateful for that. There is, I don't, I don't question it. Now, sitting at home on the, at, on my, being in my office and making a decision about something else, I'm not that confident. Um that's my, that's what I, that's my wish is that I could have that confidence in that place and that's why I, I truly see stories as a refuge and what my head of school used to say I, I believe that, that that's true for you and she said you have to also know that there are some, there are others children and grown-ups where that is not the case for them and so our work also is to find ways for them to engage in story and be with a story where it is not so much of a place that they can trust and i love you mean the
0: opposite you mean the opposite that it is a place that they can
1: it is, but there there are some there are some of us though who are DNA designed who are in our in our natural way, where they may not always feel safe in that place, and maybe I could clarify by saying they may not always be safe as telling a story, but and I think and but they could still engage with it by drawing or you know cut and paste if they want. This
0: idea of structure, I was actually just having a conversation last night uh, with my roommate about this at the conference. And he has a story, a Native story, that he just loves and he wants to tell. And, I, and he was saying how he doesn't, he, he's not, he's basically not authorized to tell the story. He loves a Native story and it belongs to a Native people. And they're like, hey, it's ours, dude. He <laughs> said that. Yeah, somebody said that. said that to him. And I said, listen, dude, a story is like, a human being wearing a suit of clothes. Just change the suit of clothes. Change the clothes. Change the hairstyle. The bones are still going to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, that story belongs in that place, on that landscape with those people. You can't have that particular version. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't take sort of the bones of that story and reconstruct it with your own cultural Perspective mm-hmm. somewhere else, as long as it's really your own cultural mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, before people get hot and heavy about what I'm talking about here, let me give you an example. Um, I was reading a book of uh, fairy tales. I think it was maybe the pink fairy book or the red fairy book. Um, I don't know which one it was, but it was one of those. I mean, actually, maybe it was the purple fairy book. And in that book, there was a. Them
1: who edited those. Andrew Lang edited those, and there's many, 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 many colors, and they're fantastic.
0: Yes, they are fantastic. And I was reading the book, and I read the story, and I was like, I love this story. I just love this story. And then I realized it's set in the Middle East. And I don't want to tell Middle Eastern material, first of all, because there's just lots of I just didn't feel like it's my stuff to do that. It's not, it doesn't fit into any other material that I tell. And then I thought, what if I told this as a jacktail? Because that's an American. I mean, you know, what is my cultural mythology? And really, to me, there's only one mythology, I mean, fairy tales, but that's really European in some ways still. Jacktails are completely American in many ways. Americanized. They've been here for over seven generations.
1: <laughs> but they're rooted in your they are rooted in European. But they've been here so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean the Appalachian
0: Jacktail tradition. Mm-hmm. you know, which doesn't fit anywhere into the Scottish or, or British versions.
1: But it's based in it. Its it. home ground is there.
0: But it's been here for seven generations. It's become <laughs> something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I took that story, right? And I retold it. Um, And I've actually mentioned this before in in the show. And the story has become mine. It went from a story in a book to a story in a foreign land to a story that just feels like an American story. The bones of that original story are still there.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. But the exterior, the part I love about it is kept. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the other parts that I love as well, have, have joined in together, and I've created something new, an American experience. Aloha, this is Kathy Collins.
1: And this is Kira. You're listening to Brother Wolf on the art of storytelling.
0: Don't no forget there, that. that's one true
1: story, honest promise.
0: I'm afraid we're, we're running out of time here. So, Angela Lloyd, though, I have to ask you, do you have an offer for our audience?
1: Yes, I do. I would in- invite you that if, if you are interested in working with stories, whether it's for your own path or if you would like to develop your telling skills for storytelling, that, A, you, you go looking for a teacher, and I say that because I've always loved having teachers in what I was learning, and when I decided to study storytelling when i studied when I started to want to know more about storytelling, I said that I knew that I needed to have a teacher. My background was as an actor and I have a master's, and I was in a conservatory program, so I came from that place of intensive instruction where we were Having voice and dance and acting lessons, I wasn't in a classroom writing notes. You know, we were on our feet. So I want to make that invitation: that a that you consider getting a teacher, go looking for a teacher. And the the second part of that is is that I teach classes. They're sometimes three and a half days long, on um, and at a a guest ranch located. In Victorville California and if you want to keep an eye on my website I post the dates for those class so that you could consider coming I'd love to work with you and you would bring one story and we would spend three and a half days working with that story and working with it in the landscape of this guest ranch in the high desert of California and the second is is that I play a washboard And I am interested in, I've been playing one for 30 years, and I've just in the last year started to do workshops that were longer than an hour where people started to build their own washboards. And I've started doing that, and I really, I love it. And we don't do the whole thing. We don't complete it, but I love being there to help you get going. So if you think that you have friends who might want to, have a, a party or have a weekend where they start to build. Uh, are rock. you inviting people to have washboard parties? Yes, they can have <laughs> a washboard party. And actually a man who heard me play, he, he that's what he did. He, for his birthday, he um, had a washboard party and then he sent photos. And it was unbelievable what they did on the boards. And some of them were just being decorated and some of them were being decorated to to play. And they were phenomenal. And I couldn't go. I would have loved to have gone to that. I've been playing a washboard, and lots of people have been inspired by my playing a washboard. But I'm putting, I want to say that I am, I would love to, and I'm available to come and support you building yours and your friends building theirs.
0: If you go to the last two minutes of this track, of this interview, of this episode, you can listen to Angela playing the washboard in accompaniment with a piano player. You can reach Angela at www.angelalloyd.com. That's www.angelalloyd.com. I'd like to offer to the audience, I have a free e-course called um, Zen and the Art of Storytelling in Seven Simple Steps. Mm. And it covers some of the concepts we talked about in this interview in terms of how to create space on a stage, how to listen to an audience, um, how to listen to yourself, how to work uh, with the story, etc. So I'd invite you to uh, sign up for it. That's at artofstorytellingshow.com slash storytelling. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Reno-Hare, and you're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Angela Lloyd, do you have any final words for the international storytelling community?
1: I wish you um, the best in your work with stories, and whenever you take your turn to tell that you do what Marlon Brando used to say was his motto as an actor, and that is this, plant your feet and tell the truth.
0: To tell the truth can be the most radical thing that can happen in a room. And by the word radical, I mean the most amazing experience. I would like to bring us back to this idea of patience, this idea of humility, and this idea of silence
1: so here's what I learned about patience the word the word patience is based on a Latin word which is patio which means to be uncomfortable and so when we're practicing patience and we are in a state of discomfort we are exactly in the right place <laughs> and I found that so helpful and and gave me hope so you can be uncomfortable.
0: And I think that is that's the idea I want to bring us back to, that, that through patience, through humility, through silence, we can open a doorway into possibilities that wouldn't be there if we were speaking from our ego, from our self-importance, from our loudness. And so I invite you to reach out your hand and open that door. Angela Lloyd, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Brother Wolf.
0: This guest has written a post for the blog that can be read at www.artofstorytellingshow.com. This post includes a bio and a link to the guest's website, plus other additional information about our discussion. If you want to respond to this show, you can find this post and share your thoughts through the comment system in the blog comment box. If you wish to join a future show as an audience member, go to www.artofstorytellingshow.com slash alerts and sign up to the email alert system. You can buy CDs of shows and preloaded iPods on the website. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This show is produced and hosted by me, Brother Wolf, and I am responsible for its content. It is released under a Creative Commons non-derivative and non-commercial license. That means you can copy it and you can give it away, but you can't splice it up or sell it. High-definition versions of this show are considered copyrighted, all rights reserved. Here's a sample of Angela Lloyd playing The Washboard, accompanied by a piano player. And we're going to feature her on Washboard, so here we go.